Hello and welcome. This is the Regenerative Life Podcast, a space that's been curated to help you live, learn and lead in a way that's nourishing for you, kind to others and great for the planet too. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and I'm so excited to dive into this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. You may have noticed that things have changed a little bit around here and that's because I have rebranded the podcast to this new format but the content will be largely the same and there'll be lots of great guests and deep inquiry and space for reflection and practices for your body and I think it's going to be a really beautiful next iteration and evolution of my work and bringing together so many of my passions around community and connection and embodiment and social and ecological change and I'm so excited that you're here and that you're joining me on this next um, adventure. This week, which is the week of the 5th of October, um, I will be releasing my new website, which has loads of new ways to work with uh, me and to join into the community. And I'm so, so excited about sharing that with you all. But today I have an incredible conversation that was It was just one of those ones where I just wanted to stay on the call and actually Nikki and I did stay on the call um, for quite a long time after we stopped recording, just talking about business and motherhood and all the things that we're deeply passionate about. And I just know you're going to love this episode as much as I loved creating it for you. So today I... um, interview Nikki Farrell who's one of the co-founders of Wildlings Forest School and um, the co-host of uh, her her own podcast as well and so Nikki um, is an educator and her passions and expertise really lie in this nexus of outdoor recreation, educating educators, creating community connection, ecological literacy, environmental protection and stewardship, and ensuring diversity and alternatives in the education system to better prepare our children for an uncertain future. And just reading that bio um, already takes me right back to that conversation that we had and all the gifts that lay within it. If you are a parent looking for regenerative ways um, to think about raising your children, if you're contemplating homeschooling, if you want to deepen your insight into what wild schooling and the wild schooling philosophy is, this is 100% your episode and you will hear in the conversation as we go through that I am really asking Nikki to give me advice on how we can start our own wild schooling playgroup in the local area where we live, which is something that Dave and I are planning to do, um, which, you know, is another one of those things that has been, has come to us rather than us, uh, 
desiring to create that kind of project. Um, so sit back, get cozy, um, open your mind and your heart to a different way. And regardless of um, your schooling choices, and of course, we hold a wide open space to include all of the varying ways that we're deciding to raise and parent and give care to our young ones. Um, but I know there'll be something regardless of your choices in that field for you in this episode. So enjoy and I will check in with you soon. See you later. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Meg. Lovely to be here. Yeah, it's been um, been so looking forward to this conversation, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just excited to see what comes through. But I would just really love to start the conversation um, in a place I start lots of other conversations, which is what's a vision of the world that you want to see, and how are you currently expressing or exploring that vision? Mm, I love this question. Our vision would be for children to be able to access nature and movement more often. It would be democratic schooling or more micro schools with more respectful communication between educators and children, more autonomy and freedom for not just children but families in regards to work and education. And I guess the way that we embody that is that we couldn't find what we were looking for education-wise. So my business partner, Vicky Oliver, and myself started Wildlings Forest School, and we are living that education dream, I guess. And also as educators ourselves, both of us became a little disenfranchised with the system and how we were working in it and had to work in it, Um, despite being surrounded by amazing teachers. There's so many things that you can't do as an educator, so here we've got the freedom to teach, not even teach, guide how we'd like to guide. Mm, I love that. And there's so much in that. <laughs> I'm curious about going back to that moment when you realised, uh, In you know, I always talk about the permaculture principle of listening mm. to feedback of when you realised that what you wanted for your children wasn't available. Mm. It was a a long, look, it was a long process. So as a teacher personally, I just assumed that my children would go to school and they would be fine. And I guess the conversation with my husband uh, was, well, do we want our children to just be fine or do we want them to thrive? And will these children that we've had thrive in the system? So even though I was a successful academic and I enjoyed quite a few aspects of school, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that my children are going to follow the same journey. And I had two boys, very rambunctious, uh, lively boys that love being outdoors, and I just couldn't see them sitting still. But it actually started with daycare. I did the daycare rounds thinking I'd go straight back to teaching, you know, a year after, you know, when my mat leave ended, a year into um, having my first child. I thought, right, we'll do the daycare rounds. And I just thought, and this, you know, this comes from a place of privilege and white privilege too, was that my backyard was bigger than the daycare centres and I lived in a suburban area. So it's saying something about the size of the yard that had to fit 20 children in it. I thought, oh, is this, is this what I want? I assumed it was and that just led me down the road of 
checking out a lot more daycare centres, not feeling comfortable with that, and then huge changes within our family. So instead of going back full-time, I went part-time. My husband was at uni and decided to jump into starting his own online triathlon coaching business uh, with a business partner as well. And then serendipitously, that's when I met Vicky, going attending a playgroup, and we met and hit it off and had all the same questions about education and daycare and teaching and if we wanted to go back teaching and we decided to start a homeschool co-op and then from there like you said taking on the feedback from the children and the parents was that it while it was ticking a lot of boxes it wasn't ticking them all and so we ended up doing forest kindy and it's just blossomed from there I love it because it's like there's one thing about listening to the feedback and there's another thing about interpreting the feedback and Mm -hmm. going through that process. And I imagine at times, and because I'm right in the exact moment myself at the moment, (laughs) um, recognising the feedback that my child has given me, which is that, um, that, you know, formal education in the way that it is available in our community. We know, um, and and she knows, she's from, you know, very young, two or three, she's always said, I won't go to school, mum, I'm going to be homeschooled. Um, You know, which is, and I was was homeschooled. So it was, um, Mm. it's this really interesting phenomenon of knowing, hearing the feedback, but not yet knowing another way you know, and that really uncomfortable in between of as a parent wanting to, um, wanting to also have my own business and meet my own needs. And and I Mm. think I imagine, and I wonder whether this capacity issue is what comes up the most with parents considering, Mm -hmm. um, how to adopt more wild schooling is that there is a certain amount of still being within the capitalist system, still needing to earn money. And I just wonder what your advice is at that particular discomfort point. Yeah. yeah. That was it. It's a big one. So we went from double income, no kids uh, teaching wages, but my husband was a teacher as well and is no longer a teacher, Mm. which I think is also an interesting point. The um, amount of teachers that are and good teachers that are leaving the system. Um, Yeah, but we definitely went from the double income to the single income to my husband having a bit of a, a turning point in his life where he wanted to leave teaching, but really felt that provider, you know, that role Mm. that he had to fill as the father and the male and how was he going to do that, Um, I guess, happily because he was ready to leave but he, so we had big discussions and essentially it was me just saying I'd rather live in a cardboard box and be happy than, you know, living in a nice house and doing all the things with a grumpy husband or a husband that I never see. So Mm. that was the turning point I guess that was the permission that he needed from me I guess as a family um, to leave teaching to go back to university for his second degree and start that and I, and I just said to him you know his our son is one he needs nappies and love he needs breast milk and nothing else right now like if you're going if we're going to be broke this is the time to be broke so we <laughs> you know we're not gallivanting around the world and we're not going out to see operas and mm-hmm. all that when our child is under 12 months old so it was a definite decision that this was a good time to make changes and I'm so glad that we did because you know he finished that degree within three years decided that he didn't want to finish his dietetics degree and instead wanted to start his own business and now we have that flexibility so mm. it is a juggle uh, but I think everything is in life is a juggle and 
he has the children, he parents <laughs> uh, two to three days a week and I parent two to three days a week. And we, so right now my business partner and I are working, we have an admin day and my husband's got the boys and they're off bike riding or at the beach or I actually don't even know what they're doing today. How lovely. <laughs> How beautiful. I love it. I, and I, I really, I really value that wisdom and that insight because I think we've, we've just made similar decisions here around parenting and care and income. And, mm. and, and I think it is incremental, isn't it? It's like you take one step and, and with these things, because it's an uncharted path, it's not a path mm. that has been well-worn as yet um, in the, in the in the form that it's taking um i really hold a lot of hope for the future of a third way in education with all these incredible educators um that you know we would love you to send them down here send them our way <laughs> but i really i really believe that that way is emerging where there's opportunities within communities to develop different ways and sometimes mm. being the folks that are on the fringes and making these decisions can feel really big. But it sounds like when you found Vicky, that was also a really uh, integral time to just know that you didn't have to do it alone. And I know mm. that that's part of the philosophy as well that you um, that you use. And I'm just wondering whether you could talk a little bit about the philosophy and um, the element of relationship within that because I'd love to explore that more. Yeah, I, I think we were both would have headed that way had we not met anyway. And, and we're really lucky here in the Sunshine Coast that there is a large homeschooling and unschooling community. And But I, I had no idea when I moved here. Again, before I moved here, I was on the school train and had no idea. But I think you can't be what you can't see. And I just hadn't even contemplated homeschooling, yet alone unschooling. So, um, you know, just the way that life works. When we moved to the Sunshine Coast, our neighbours had five children and they were homeschooling and their children who ranged from five years to about 15 at the time were the most beautiful, well-mannered, polite, sociable uh, children that I'd probably met ever. And I thought, wow, that's that's what I want in my child and my children. I, I don't actually care about academics because I know that children can learn what they need to learn when they need to learn it, but I do want them to be able to get along with people in the world and make their way comfortably within the world. So that's been a really big part of Wildlings is is creating this village of A, like-minded families, but also educators that are on the same page and creating this village where children can grow up in multi-age learning and see the same families regularly um, to break down that whole socialisation myth, I guess, that you would have heard yes, growing up as a homeschooler. <laughs> many, many times. And it's it's just, it really speaks to the capitalist construct of quantity yes. over quality, you know, that, that it's like, well, you put a whole lot of bunch of kids together for eight hours a day and they will socialise without realising <laughs> that it's actually all of that needs to be scaffolded and modelled and there needs to be opportunities for growth and challenge and repair in that and I just think mm. you know when I went to school because I went when I was 12 what occurred to me was a how adaptable I was mm. um b how multi-skilled as in I could do a lot of things I was very a generalist always have been be able to do Same. have the confidence to do lots of different things um without really worrying that it wasn't for me or anything like that mm. and that's something I see in homeschooling communities a lot is is this absolute um uh, faith and 
and confidence to give things a go because yes. there's not um, as much punishment and reward. And I think that that's really, yeah, and, and actually the social element, I, I often say to people I, I had more different communities of social, I had lots of different social groups that I was a part of and that mm. was really beautiful as well that I was able to to find my way in lots of different groups, um, multi-generational groups, having yes. conversations with adults and lots of older kids and younger kids. And, yeah, I love mm. that philosophy. So I please th- keep talking. I just love this conversation. Well, I just think exactly where you're going there is that somewhere along the line it's become normalised that children only socialise with their own age group. And yet as soon as you leave school, that is the complete opposite of the norm. But we're finding that children that or young adults that are leaving school are sometimes having trouble socialising with people that aren't their peers. So, like you said, where is that being modelled? How are they getting out into the real world regularly, not just on, you know, and even in weekends they're playing soccer with their same age group. They're going to birthday parties of the same age group. So it's, there's a big gap, a really big gap there in socialisation in schools, but people don't talk about that, which mm. I think is interesting. Mm. And and then I wonder how you do scaffold that next step in learning when we're not when when they are only around. I mean, I, I think the other thing we found with daycare and our kids are in an incredible daycare that's philosophically very aligned. However, for us having two girls and my own history in working in maternal and child health and mm-hmm. working with young girls, you know, I, I have a very high degree of um, <laughs> expectation about gender norms and how they're going to be taught and mm-hmm. um, and just that they're not only socialising just with their age group but just with other little girls or other little boys and that the expectations are vastly different for mm-hmm. each of them and that I, I, I see that playing out and I see the effects of that and for me as someone that, it really dearly is wanting to disrupt that um mm. I see that intergenerational like cohort and really really integral to that um yeah yeah I, I completely 100% agree with that and and we're, we're the same we we love down and, and you know but sometimes we hear that you know homeschool parents you're doing it to keep your child protected and I would argue that while we don't want to shelter them well not that we don't want to we can't shelter children from the world there's mm. just no way that you can but what we can do is provide mentors and guides that are on the same page and the same wavelength so we have children come down we've got boys that play with dolls and they don't get teased we've got girls that wear their tutus and we've got boys that wear their tutus and they don't get teased and we're very very strongly opinionated that that should be the norm (laughs) yeah sorry my car just went past there (laughs) (laughs) that's okay um so tell me about how the school developed so you 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 created the co-op and was that a matter of finding those families within the existing homeschool network or how did that process evolve and then into the into the kinder and the school Mm, so it was a bit of everything so I met Vicky at her play group that she was running Little Wildlings and I avoided it for not avoided it but I didn't go for a lot of weeks until a friend came with me because I thought it's a bit too hippie which is hilarious looking back now because <laughs> it wasn't at all it was right bang on what I was looking for mm. um and again we hit it off there we did the co-op and then we started the forest kindy essentially with the homeschool co-op we were still trying to teach we hadn't de-schooled ourselves enough and left our teacher 
I guess, brains, our teacher hats out of there enough. And we were trying to please stakeholders, which the stakeholders were parents rather than the children. So Mm. the parents that were attending really wanted to see some math, some English, some art and some science. And we were trying to do that in a classroom environment with four to six-year-olds, you know, probably 40, uh, 30 odd, four to six-year-olds, their younger siblings and not many older siblings. And they just weren't ready to sit. You wouldn't get those children to sit at a kindy. You wouldn't get them to sit in a classroom. So why were we doing that? Um, And we had a gymnastics mat next door and they were just playing and running and jumping and screaming and having a great time, but they were not interested in sitting down to do these, surprise, surprise, these uh, tasks that we had beautifully displayed and laid out for them when they just wanted to play with their friends. Anyway, at the end of the homeschool co-op every week, we would go down into the forest and their whole energy would change. It would shift. They would become calmer their voices would change, um, their energy was just beautiful. And we found they were learning a lot of the things we were trying to teach naturally down in the forest anyway. And we just had that huge aha moment. And from there, we went and did a forest school leader course and everything just clicked. We went, why Why isn't Australia doing this? Why aren't schools doing this? Why isn't this a normal part of kindy? So we started kindy and then our, and that was really successful. So essentially the playgroup families joined the co-op and then co-op families joined the kindy. And then our kindy family said, oh, do you do holiday workshops? We've got some older siblings that would love this, but, you know, probably at a bit higher level. So gave ourselves two weeks and looked into all the legislation and then started <laughs> some holiday workshops. And it's just honestly, it's just grown organically from the feedback and and the wishes of our families and mm. word of mouth. We, you know, our advertising has always been really small. We throw, you know, maybe a hundred bucks at a Facebook ad for the holidays. I don't think we're even paying at the moment to advertise. It's word of mouth and positive feedback just coming back and just it's just beautiful. <laughs> I love it because it's that it's that just witnessing um, whenever we live in a in a rural area and, and so we spend a lot of time in the wild but for me what always surprises me is just how long it takes us all to unwind and I think you said it on a, one of your podcasts is just really allowing that time and spaciousness to unfurl and start to interact with the environment and let the environment start speaking to you. And I think it's, it really speaks to that broader cultural idea that, you know, our well-being is secondary and to our productivity or whatever that, you know, kind of belief is. And, and really for you seeing that and then the parents seeing that and the children feeling that, just mm. how simple that can be um, as a learning philosophy. And, and and my husband and I were listening to your podcast about wild schooling and the philosophy mm. and we both just, our whole systems just shifted to have everything that we believed and had seen named, you know, that <laughs> what we had witnessed had a name. And, mm. um, and I think that's, that being the biggest permission slip to really explore that we could do this and we could mm. create this in our own community because um, philosophically it's not rocket science. It's no. like what we all know to be true about how yeah. we feel when we're in the natural world. <laughs> it's almost too simple and I think that's the only issue with it is I think it, you know, nature connection and unschooling and wild schooling can sometimes be poo-pooed in a capitalistic society because 
you know, there's no how do we make money out of that? How do how does society in general, how does the government make money out of that? You know, there's no resources, there's no textbooks, there's no chairs even. It's just literally turn up in the forest and explore. And it's just so beautiful. And I think if you've um, listened to the podcast, Peter Gray is one of those um, researchers that really opened my eyes up. And again, exactly like you said, gave it a label and, and I guess reinstated the importance of play and gave me the permission to allow my children to play mm-hmm. and to learn through that play, because that's how children learn. And he has a great saying along the lines of, you know, if school started when babies were one, then we would assume that children could only learn to walk if they went to school to learn to walk. And we kind of assume the same thing about children reading and, you know, maths is that if they don't go to school, they'll never learn it. And thankfully I've had models and families out here that I've got teenagers that I can see are well-rounded and adjusted and, you know, I can see the evidence that this is a beautiful way and a really holistic way of educating our children so that their mental health is priority. Mm. I love that so much. So I'm curious about this process of unschooling for you as an educator and also as a mother mm-hmm. and then as a creator of this school and this this um, community. I'm curious about how wild schooling has supported you and your mental health and your mm. um, relationship with self because I imagine that what comes up a lot is our own fears, wounds, insecurities from our own learning mm. days and our own mm-hmm. schooling. And is is that part of it as parents that to do that work in that kind of more conscious parenting way of understanding um, what it is that we're, that is maybe not theirs but is ours? Is that yes. something that you've found that you've had to oh, work absolutely. through? Absolutely. I think um, Vicky and myself are... Um, What's the word? How do I? We're um, people pleasers in, what's the saying I'm trying to say? <laughs> we're, we're ex-people pleasers, but we're mm-hmm. on the recover, recovering. That's what I'm looking for. We're recovering people pleasers. So it's been our children for both of us that have really enabled us to step up, step out of our comfort zone and really stop worrying about what other people think. Because again, as as a homeschool family, you would have had this as well. You know, how are they? When are they going to learn to read? Are they behind at school? And currently, if my child went to school and sat the test, then he would be my eldest probably would be behind in writing, but he would be years ahead in his reading. So, you know, I think again, as a teacher, I've been really able to. It's easier in a way, I think, because I've seen the vast differences in abilities of children you know I have a year nine class in my high school English and I might have one child that's reading at a year two or three level and then I might have another child reading at university level and that's fairly typical you know the class isn't all reading at a year nine level so for me to be able to leave that system and be able to justify that to my family and say yeah he he might be behind but at least he's not being told he's a failure right now mm-hmm. as well. Mm. He hasn't lost that learn uh, that love of reading. He hasn't lost that love of writing because there's nobody telling him that he's really bad at it. So he doesn't know that he's bad at it because he's not bad at it. He's where he is meant to be developmentally right now. So there has been a lot of unlearning and, and exactly like you said, though, looking at those childhood wounds and that growth of the perfectionist and um, seeing 
my worth attached to productivity and people pleasing through, you know, grades, making sure I was a good girl. I've had to detach a lot of that, which has been beautiful for myself, but I can see how good it has been for my children as well. So Mm. it's a beautiful way to heal and not that my children should be doing the healing for me, but I don't feel that it has been. I feel I've been able to heal myself through this education journey uh, and I can see the benefits in my children, which is just beautiful. I really love that. And I wonder too, you spoke at the start about the kind of democratic schooling philosophy that you use. And I Mm. wonder whether there's something in that too around responsibility and what it is that you as an educator are taking on on behalf of community and families and children. Mm. And I wonder whether you could talk a little more about what that means and how that plays out in the day-to-day Mm, I think so currently in Australia we can't legally have fully truly democratic schools purely because we all have to follow the Australian curriculum and that's really segmented so in year nine you need to have learnt this and in year 10 you need to have learnt this so for a child to come in and say look I love motorbikes I would love to write this assessment about about motorbikes you might have that flexibility in primary school but by the time you get to high school everything needs to be moderated so The way I guess that we're holding our community is that we're allowing the children the autonomy to be child-led and for their education to be completely self-led. So I I can't remember, I think it was Simon Sinek said that rather than focusing on, you know, if a parent, if your child's struggling in maths but loves tennis, then I wouldn't be getting the child maths lesson, I would be getting the child tennis lessons. So instead of focusing on their failures, let's focus on the things that they're good at and that they love because in this global economy and, and the way that we're working now, we need these people that are experts in their niche and that are passionate in their niche. We don't need factory workers anymore. You know, we've got all of this technology happening that we don't need. I mean, we will always need those essential workers to a point, but really what we need is passionate, purposeful people that are going to change their communities and their micro-communities so that that can then blossom and burgeon and other people can see these things so then they can be these things. That makes sense. Mm, that makes so much sense. And it's really at the heart of, you know, the work I do around regenerative leadership, really mm. being the, the journey within us as parents and as leaders and as change makers. Um, it is really all of that unschooling ourselves from mm. the shames that we've accumulated around what we're not and instead amplifying and getting in touch with and actually coming back into the body to be able to experience who it is that we are and the passions that we have and the interests mm. and, and, and for that to be enough and not only enough for that to be the point from which we are the most, I always talk about as stepping in the middle of an amphitheatre, you know, mm. and, you, and, and we spend all of this time people saying, go over there, go over there, go over there, and yet we just need <laughs> to step into the middle and our voice is suddenly magnetic and resonant and amplified. Mm. And if we can start that from childhood, I just, it almost brings tears to my eyes yes. that, that they are um, they are able to have a sense of home within themselves that mm. they don't need to attach to the expectations and conform. And, you know, you talked about Simon Sinek and, and I love Seth Godin's invitation around this work to just really answer the question what school is for and mm-hmm. every parent will have a different answer to that and that's okay. But if, but if I think like we are talking about school is for 
that wholeness is to reinforce and amplify that sense of wholeness and mm. to develop interconnection with you know the the more than human world and and others then for me wild schooling is the only philosophy that's going to <laughs> enable that you know I'm sure there are others but you know for me it's it's a it's a total no-brainer that we would do that in nature mm. in connection with the natural world which you know is not trying so hard to to bloom it just is yes oh my gosh you've just nailed it and I think that again, if we go back to that capitalistic um, version of success, you know, we see all these teenagers in there, and particularly during this pandemic, I mean, imagine being a year 12 student right now and wanting to do the arts and suddenly the arts funding's been cut and your degree's three times the amount and basically being told your degree's not worth it and actually there'll be no jobs by the time you do that degree. But there's always work for artists. If they just embody themselves and they are true to themselves and they just do their art, there will always be work for artists. But our society is telling them that, no, nope, sorry, we don't value that. Our economy doesn't value that right now. You know, imagine being in that state. So for us in wild schooling, it is that we're able to use our bodies. We feel all the emotions and we hopefully come out of the other end with a real sense of self whether that's purpose or not, you know, I don't know that life is about having a purpose other no. than being mm-hmm. and and being whole. So, yeah, I don't know how to wrap that up there. <laughs> <laughs> you wrapped it up beautifully it's, and it's, it just really, yeah, summarises, I think, a lot of what we've been talking about and getting to the heart of what it is, I guess, that that this philosophy speaks to and I wanted to finish by I really loved at the start that you said acknowledged you know privileged and and supremacy mm-hmm. and you know that we are to be even having these philosophical conversations let alone being able to take action on them that we are incredibly privileged and have the resources to be able to and the safety in our bodies to be able to um, inquire and uh, yes. and try different ways of being. And so I guess I really wanted to come back to I understand that wild schooling is, is really not about a right way and it's not about shaming other ways and it's certainly not about saying that there is... Um, rules and (laughs) that our tendency in education is about well what are the rules and what can I do but Mm. here's your invitation for folks that are listening that are perhaps curious about um adopting some of the philosophy into their lives lifestyles in a really Mm. gentle and safe way um while still recognizing perhaps the limitations of um survival and yeah surviving in the system as it is at the moment absolutely Well, we, you know, I'm surrounded by friends and family that um, they can't, even though they would love to, they, they, at this point in time in their life, they can't get to the point where they can either homeschool or wild school. And some of that is purely parent mental health. You know, it's got to suit everyone in the family. It can't just suit the children. So if homeschooling and wild schooling is actually going to become more of a burden on your mental health, then it's not the right decision for your family anyway. So please take the guilt away from that first of all about anyone that can't do it I think um the legitimate reasons in a society that doesn't currently support us to be able to do these things um 
going on from there, I guess wild schooling, if you are at school, some of the ways that you can do it is on weekends. You know, we've all got our school sport. We've all got our birthday parties and family functions that we need to go to. But if you can carve away a couple of hours regularly, even if it's fortnightly or even monthly, and even if it's the same place, the same creek or the same beach or the same forest, the same walk, that's what we really love is that regular uninterrupted time in nature so rather than just the playgrounds are great but even if you can explore the outskirts of the playground and you'll find if you're at a playground long enough that children will actually start to do that and mm. um, so probably starting with a minimum of two hours if you can it look any time outdoors is absolutely better than none but working your way up to two to three hours outdoors makes a huge difference because Children go from, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to play, um, I'm having trouble making friends to, you know, three hours later they still don't want to leave because they're right in the middle of some imaginary Jaguar game or, you know. My child is always naked in a creek. That is yes, inevitably so where good. our day ends up. It's, I, I have a whole photo reel on my phone of my four-year-old naked in creeks just in the middle of winter, you know, it's like a thing. <laughs> what, what a bliss, I think. And how can you be stressed naked in a creek? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just think if we all have that, and we're really privileged in Australia that we have access to so many nature spaces. Even in our metropolitan cities, we do still really have great access. So there's not many places in, in our cities that don't have access within a K, maximum two Ks to at least, even if it's a tiny park, there's something. And it doesn't have to be a huge park. It doesn't have to have water. You know, the changing seasons, the leaves changing, the mini beasts changing, children pick up on those things and there's still a joy and an awe and a wonder about that. And if we can do nothing else but try and see that joy and awe and wonder alongside them, then that too is just so beneficial for our own mental health. We have so many parents that initially come to Wildlings to uh, for their children and then they continue signing on because they realise how good it is for them to be at our creek site for three hours straight. Uh, we, we, there's no ban on phones, but we rarely see a phone out. And for these women and parents and fathers to just be, to be sitting at a creek, bonding and chatting, children are entertained. You know, they, they leave refreshed and re- revitalised. Mm, thank you. Uh, it's just such a, I feel my system is just soothed just thinking about, it. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. And, and my, and, you know, Joanna Macy talks about it. You know, she says that, um, really if we look at the root of the root of society's challenges around separation and and shame and all of the products of that um she said it's as simple as if we can come back into connection you know if we can mm. step back into our place in the web of life that a lot of that would actually um probably not very prettily in, in our own human way but it just wouldn't be such a such an issue and i really see mm. that beautiful opportunity for all of us to to try that and the other piece of advice that I just love that you give is around preparation and and packing everything and like (laughs) you know really settling in and I think it's always those times when we're trying to like rush it and we don't have spare clothes and we don't have snacks and you know Mm. that that it can end up being really big but um Yeah. yeah that piece around having backpacks and everything packed and ready to go it's been so helpful for us as well oh that's really great to hear because it's all been trial and error for us and it's funny that again it's if 
just putting yourself out there and being authentic and saying this, you know, most of you are probably all over this, but there might be a handful of you that might find this really interesting. I think that's been really good for us marketing-wise is that we don't even realise that we're marketing because we're just trying to show people the tips and tricks that help us become more comfortable to stay longer out in nature so that the children are happier, so that parenting is easier. Like it's just, we just want this to be easy for everyone so that people can reap those social, emotional and physical health benefits. So, yeah, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Nikki, so much for your time today. It's been just a really brief introduction and I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about. But um, just wondering and curious if there's anything um, that you're offering online for folks if they do want to dive deeper and where to find all about you and your work and your podcast. Thank you. It's funny, this morning uh, before we spoke, we've been working on our introduction to Bush Kindy online course. It'll be our first one. So that's really exciting for us. So we've been getting a lot of inquiries um, from people like yourself, Meg, that might want to be starting a playgroup or looking into a Bush Kindy because they can't find it in their area. And we've always run them here face to face, but we're getting that much demand at the moment that we went, right, bite the bullet and we're going to do it. So that will be launching uh, at the end of this month, which is really exciting. And you can find all the details on our Facebook, on our website, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn. We've just joined TikTok and it's terrifying. So so no judgment there. We're not dancing yet, but... I love it. The things that we get invited to do, right? And and how beautiful that we get to try things and step out of our comfort zone. And, and it yeah. is that. I think it's exactly that. We don't need TikTok, but um, it's been fun trying something new and exact. I'm a sucker for learning. It's been really mm. fun, actually. So. Yeah. I love that. I love that you, <laughs> I love too that you're a sucker for learning and that that, that, that I think is what makes an incredible teacher and, and that real idea that we're all learners and we're all learning mm. and how beautiful that is for our kids to see that we're not experts and we're not, we haven't got to this point where we're like suddenly have world domination power over every single thing that we do, how beautiful they get to see that vulnerability and that learning process mm. in us it's as well. It's so true. And I think that's been another beauty of homeschooling and unschooling is our children know when each of us works it's you know it's mum's work day today it's dad's work day but they see us taking the calls and they see us you know playing like my son walked in this morning and said what are you doing are you podcasting so I said no we're making up a new course he said oh that's cool so it's nice mm. for them to see the work because it, you know I used to go to work and he had no idea what a teacher meant <laughs> you know? yeah Mm. I love that and to see a broader interpretation of teacher. That's just so wonderful. Oh, Nikki, Mm. it's been a delight. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your deep wisdom with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Meg. I really appreciate it. Mm.